Hey, y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 100 something. Man, it's a good one. It's a real good one. Uh, I'm excited about this one. We just finished our interview with this week's interview subject, Auburn University quarterback Bo Nix, who's an amazing young man. Uh, just has such tremendous perspective for someone his age, is well-grounded in his faith, and I can't wait for you guys to hear everything that he's learned from freshman phenom to up-and-down freshman season to SEC freshman of the year to now sophomore. Before we get to Bo, y'all, I also want to remind you guys that the Dan Lebitard Show with Stu Gotts is on now, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern Time, weekdays on ESPN Radio and ESPN News. But they'll also be putting out original content before and after every show. So Travis tells me that Ask Marty this week is a doozy, that we got lots of response. Uh, what was the response? Yeah, so I just tweeted out last night, you know, get your questions in. And we've always had good, you know, responses and people tweeting. But last night, within minutes, I already had dozens. And I think at last check, uh, like 250 responses. So, like, I've got, I've got screen grabs of at least, like, 10. So, if your question doesn't get, you know, asked today – there's a good chance that it could be asked the next couple of weeks because 150. The, the listeners really came at it this weekend. Uh, first one comes in from Ryan Walker underscore 74. Who would you nominate to make a new recording of the highway men? Oh, oh my. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, let, let me just back up real quick, Travis, and explain the highwaymen. So the highwayman is a tremendous transcendent single that was a collaboration between four of the greatest country music stars of all time, greatest vocalists, greatest writers, greatest minds, the outlaw movement, just American badasses, Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson, and Willie Nelson. And it's brilliantly written. Uh, the final verse of that song, which was sung by Johnny Cash, uh, blows my mind every time. I've heard it a million times. Blows my mind every time. Or I may be a single drop of rain, and I'll be back again and again and again and again. It's just brilliant. It's, if you don't know the song, The Highway Man, go YouTube it immediately. If you have Spotify, search it immediately. I want to sing it, but we can't afford to sing it because we, we can't pay the royalties for yeah, it. Yeah, we definitely – we, we push the limit with some songs that we definitely can't afford to deal with those four and their uh, representatives and their uh, estates. We cannot. So we will not sing it. But I, I couldn't recommend more highly to go consume that song, especially if you have a cold beer in your hand. Now, the question, which we've now rambled for five minutes, the question is who would be the modern-day artists that I would choose to cut the highway man. Of course, I'm starting with my boy, Eric Church. Uh, he's kind of the modern day Waylon that I, I'm not really concerned with what your opinion is, attitude. I'm going to cut the music I want to cut. I'm going to write the music I want to write. And I have such a loyal, passionate, expansive, ardent, insane fan base that, look, man, people who are in the church choir, 
hang on every word. They can't wait when new music comes out. They know every word to every song from the first record to the song he just put out, Crazy Land, a few days ago. And by the way, if you haven't heard that yet, get on that one too. That's part of your homework assignment too. He is, the music that he's put out during this pandemic, I mean, he's done it before, but you're seeing it more because there's nothing going on. It's just phenomenal to, you know, and he puts out little videos with the lyrics. And I think that's brilliant just to see the writing of these songs that he does. It's, uh, he's a savant. He's a savant. He dreamed it. So he texted me and, and told me, I think he's actually put it out to the public now anyway, so I'm not speaking out of school, but he was asleep. He woke up in the middle of the night having dreamed the chorus to Crazy Land. So he hops up out of bed, writes down the chorus, and the next morning they finish the song. And if you go listen to this song, the writing is so deep and so well done, it'll blow your mind. Basically, the premise of the song is somebody lost their love, uh, let them go, shouldn't have let them go, but did, and now they have regret. And all the other negative emotions that come with a breakup or a love gone bad. And all of those negative emotions are meeting up in a bar and it'll blow your mind. I mean, it'll blow your mind. Lainey and I have listened to it on repeat uh, for some time now and we just smile. It's so well-written. We just smile the whole time. Uh, So chief is definitely in that foursome. Um, Another person that's a friend of mine that I admire greatly is Luke Combs. I'm putting Luke in there. His voice just, I I just, he's an unbelievable singer and a great spirit and a great dude. I've been really consuming his music a lot lately too. And I love his sound. It's like, it's a, it's a more nineties kind of sound. And I'm a little biased there, just like I'm biased with, with Eric. I'm biased with Luke too, because not only, is Luke a buddy of mine, but his co-writers, the guys that he sits in these rooms with and creates this brilliance with are also friends of mine. Guys like Ray Fulcher, who is a buddy of mine. Ray was actually an equipment student manager at Georgia. And now he's over in Nashville writing some of the best songs in in town. I mean, Luke has a, a cut called Even Though I'm Leaving. Ray helped write that. Ray was a co-writer on that song. So anyway, I could go on and on. All right, so I got Chief, I got Luke. Uh, now I got to add uh, another person that I admire so much is Chris Stapleton. I admire his vocals, obviously. He's probably the best singer in town with just so much passion. We go see Chris every summer, and his tour manager, Jason Hecht, is one of my best buddies and a fellow Air Jordan aficionado. Uh, I love Stapleton, so I'm going with him. So now I have Chief, Luke, Chris, and I'm going to close it out with a guy that wrote a song and, and, and recorded a song that touched my soul in ways that very few songs do. Jamie Johnson is the true outlaw. Um, some of his songs are just unbelievable. Again, I want to sing, but I can't. Uh, And his song, In Color, that a lot of you guys, I'm sure, know, is probably his biggest commercial hit. 
it's just beautiful. It's about a, a couple from the World War II era and their love for one another and how someone is looking through a photo album and they see all these photos in black and white of parts of their lives, whether that was fighting in the war, whether that was getting married after the war. And the whole premise of the song is you should have seen it in color. And it's a stunningly beautiful song. In, in fact, that song impacted me so deeply, it demanded of me that I stop being so selfish and actually sit my grandfather down and ask him about his experience in World War II. My grandfather, James Massey, was the preacher man in George Patton's Third Army. I probably mentioned that on Marty Smith's America before. I don't know. I don't remember. But he was. And I had never had the self-confidence and was entirely too self-absorbed to understand the magnitude. But hearing that song demanded of me that I do that. And I did. And I got to spend six hours listening to my grandfather tell me stories about the war uh, through tears, through laughter, through great ponderance. Uh, it was one of the most special moments and interviews of my life. So thank you to Jamie for that. But so that's who I'm going with. I'm going think, with Chief, Luke, Stapleton, and Jamie Johnson. I think that's a good four because lyrically, but also they kind of they fit that mold of what the highwaymen were. Like they, yeah, there's they, a standard there. That's how they roll because you think about, you know, we already said Chief, you know, Luke and Stapleton didn't go that normal route of, you know, what you would, you know, Nashville would want to make it. They did it their way. So this, that's a foursome of we're going to do it our way. Yep, no question. No question at all. Uh, and they, they, they create brilliance that's authentic to them, which I love. And it's pretty rare sometimes. You know, we've had Kit Moore on here. And Kip told us himself, it's so hard to be an artist that gets cut what you want, to, to write what you want, to release what you want. And those guys are squarely in that, that contingent. Our next question comes from uh, Justin Basanti. I mispronounced your last name. I know it. Uh, you have to get rid of one of these for the rest of your life. Pancakes, French toast, waffles, or cinnamon rolls? I have to get rid of pancakes, waffles, French toast, or cinnamon rolls. I'm getting rid of waffles, man. That's what I said. Waffles don't do anything for me. I mean, look, if I'm hammered and I'm going to the Waffle House at 3 a.m., they're fine. But it's not something that I'm, I'm thinking about eating all the time. And I love pancakes. Like, if I'm going to a diner, and my breakfast is, for example, an egg sandwich on toast with some avocado. I always go for the one pancake. I order the one pancake as the side. So I'm, I might only eat a couple bites of the pancake, but I'm getting the pancake. So I'm committed and devoted to the pancake. Cinnamon rolls are a once every now and again delicacy Especially the Pillsbury orange. Y'all know how say, I feel oh, about the Pillsbury orange. The orange is, no, you, no, this is your one flaw. No, 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 it's not a flaw. It's a delicacy. Uh, the Pillsbury orange are 
an American institution and my children, I'm very disappointed in my children. I made them for my kids. They just weren't that impressed. And it means I'm failing as a father. I have to do better. But question, did you like the orange ones as a kid? Hell yeah. Okay. Dude, see, that's my mom, mama would make those orange Pillsbury once every couple of months on a special occasion Saturday. And it was like, she bought me a new bike. I mean, like I was so excited. Uh, I would eat entirely too many of them. Yes, of course I liked them. See, we had the cinnamon rolls. Whenever my aunt and uncle were in town, uh, they lived in Indiana. We would always have this like on a Saturday morning or if we were visiting them. And we always had the regular, but my uncle liked the orange ones. And it was always like, there was always a couple orange ones left over. And I'm like, I don't want those though. I'm still hungry, but the good ones are taken. I, I wish I would have developed, uh, you know, liking those because I would have had more. Well, I understand where you are with it. Uh, I don't understand the hatred for the Pillsbury orange cinnamon roll, but I understand that there are certain things that don't, that aren't in other people's wheelhouse and everybody has character flaws, Travis. It's okay. That just happens to be one of yours. It's yours. And it's also a parenting. At least your kids are realizing that you're, your, your flaws that you have. I got to um, do a better job. Speaking of parenting, then this one comes from Sultan of SWAT one soon to be first time dad here. Wife is scheduled in the AM. So I'm assuming that maybe right now I'm terrified and excited all the same time. If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice for navigating the first few weeks, what would it be? Be where your feet are. Um, even though it's exhausting, unlike anything you're ever going to experience, un even though it's perplexing, unlike anything you're going to experience, because suddenly you have this little human, this little person for whom you are responsible. But those little moments where that sweet little body is against your skin, just you and him or her, uh, it's the sweetest emotion. Suddenly you're you realize very quickly how selfish you are and that it's not about you at all, that there, there is such a bigger, broader scope reason for being here, but don't wish that away. I unfortunately did that in a lot of ways. I look back now at photographs of my three children who are currently 14, 11, and eight when they were little, little guys and I would give anything just to hold those little butts one more time. And that's where you should be. Just be where your feet are. Let whatever is happening be the most important thing in your life. And I will also tell you this. One of the sweetest things to do is just watch your child sleep. When that sweet little person finally goes to sleep for you and you're utterly exhausted to the point where you can't even talk to your wife, just go in for a few minutes and watch them because it's this stunning movie that displays utmost vulnerability possible. And it's just a beautiful thing to witness. Uh, so that would be my advice for a first time dad. It's really hard. Um, 
make sure that you are very attentive to your wife and everything that she's managing uh, because she too is managing something brand new. And in a lot of cases, most cases, has much more responsibility than you do if indeed she's breastfeeding and that type of thing. So be very attentive to her. Uh, if she, if there's something that she wants or needs, be very quick to respond. But I, I, I have a follow-up. What was the first time, what was it like the first time Laney left the house and it was just you and Cameron? Uh, I don't know. I don't even remember it. It was a really difficult uh, time for us because uh, he was a really like upset child for he had uh, colic, I think is what it's called. He, so Cameron was a, a, a unique situation in terms of how, how angry, how much he screamed. Uh, so we did a lot of tag teaming uh, in, in hour long shifts. So I don't really even remember what that was like the first time, but, um, to say I was overwhelmed would be a, an understatement of colossal proportions because I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. She had, Lainey had much more experience because she has much younger siblings that she helped raise when she was a teen. So that I was the youngest child in my family. So I never experienced that. Uh, but I was over my skis bad, man. And, and she's the best mom. So I really leaned on her a ton, but anyway, be where your feet are. That's my advice. And last question. I'm not going to credit it to one person because we had a bunch. Uh, what's your thoughts on the race this past weekend and also going forward uh, with the playoffs? I loved the race this weekend. Uh, I love, the, I, I'm going to call it plate racing. I know that they've changed the engine configurations where there's not restrictor plates specifically anymore, but I don't care. I'm going to call it plate racing. I love the racing at Daytona and Talladega so much uh, because I love it for every reason the drivers hate it. It's because they are so close in such huge packs going so fast for so long where the slightest, slightest mishap results in a whole bunch of cars on a hook. Thank God I'm not Rick Hendrick or Richard Childress or Joe Gibbs or Roger Penske that has to pay for those cars. But as a consumer, as a consumer, it's fascinating for me to watch, and I'm never, I never turn away. Whereas on a standard intermediate downforce track, I will go take a nap, but not at plate races. So I loved it. Uh, I hated it for Johnson. I really hoped Jimmy would race his way into the playoff. He wound up just short as his teammate William Byron won the race in thrilling fashion. Uh, so for me, I thought the race was, was awesome. Um, Going forward, uh, I feel like it's either going to be Kevin Harvick or Denny Hamlin winning this championship, and I won't have my definitive answer on that until we maybe get a couple races in. I love how they're doing it from a format perspective. The three races to start the playoff are just three of the best venues that there is, and the championship will be decided in Phoenix, Arizona this time, which is a great racetrack. So – I do, which I think kind of – Harvick is unbelievably great at that racetrack. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I think it's either going to be Denny or, or Kevin winning it. As, you know, they've been the standard 
this entire season. You mentioned Johnson. I'm going to assume that your uh, homework is going to be turned in late. Damn it. I really hope that he was going to make it, man. Um, it just isn't right. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at all of the dynamics, the, the, the all-encompassing equation, to be DQ'd at Charlotte after finishing second, um, to have to miss the Brickyard 400 in his final full-time season with, I mean, he, he tested positive for COVID and so did Shani, his wife, but the next week he was cleared. I mean, it's just a, it's a kick in the pants the entire, all the way around. And he's been such a tremendous, unbelievable ambassador for the sport. If, if you want to know about Jimmy Johnson, look at the end of that Daytona race. It tells you all you need to know. He's missed the playoff in his final season, full-time season, uh, barely at Daytona after everything that I just mentioned has happened. And the first thing he does is congratulate his teammate. He doesn't say, woe is me, all oh, this sucks. This person wrecked me, it's that person. No, there was none of that. The first thing that came out of his mouth was, congratulations to Willie B getting his first career win and that team and Chad Canals making the playoffs. I mean, you, that's class personified. You cannot, you, you, I just, I, I admire him in more ways than I could begin to articulate. But I think, I think that classiness is, is indisputable. I think you misunderstood my question though. You didn't do your homework though, did you? In regards to Johnson. What the homework? homework? The homework that I assigned you. We need to know what he's doing with all his clocks. Oh, yeah, no. I'm sorry. I did not do my homework. Forgive you for this one. I Bill. forgot about that. I'm like, camera. I'm all over my son all the time for forgetting this assignment or forgetting to turn that in. Hell, I'm just as bad. Um, but that is, that is it for today. Uh, the people that tweeted in other questions, I've seen them. I've screen grabbed many of them. Uh, so I may not even have to ask, tweet out a question the next couple weeks for questions because – I've got enough from this week. So the listeners really came in strong for us. So, so that's what I've got for Ask Marty for this week. That was a great job. Thank you guys for, for writing in to Ask Marty. And uh, those are awesome questions. I love this segment. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Uh, it's fun to use my brain that way. Because well, I, like I don't it. know them. I don't know what's coming ever. I like it because we, we went from country music to food to seriousness, so just to get the randomness, and then you know that's what I what I like about you is not preparing you to get that randomness and that organic reaction. If I'm anything, it's random. All right, so we appreciate you guys writing those uh, questions in. Keep them coming. Ask uh, hashtag Ask Marty for Travis. Uh, by the way, Travis is who goes onto the Twitter machine and puts that stuff out there, so I don't see them. Yes, yeah, somebody. Until Somebody tweeted uh, about if you're going to see this, and I responded, I go, uh, his producer, uh, me, is the one. So, no, Marty doesn't even know that I tweeted. <laughs> Marty's unaware that this question was even sent out last night. I just did it on my own. Didn't even know. That's great. Speaking of great, it's time for our conversation with Auburn quarterback Bo Nix. And as I stated off the top, this young man – just, I mean, to be 20 years old and to carry himself the way that he does, I admire it very much. And it's something, I mean, I, I was nowhere close, like not even in his stratosphere of maturity 
as a 20-year-old and to come into the SEC West as a true freshman last season and have to face that gauntlet week after week after week with a very complex offense under Gus Malzahn and perform the way he did. Some people are like, oh, he was erratic. Oh, he only completed 57% of his passes. Oh, they, uh, come on, man. Um, well, and also what you're forgetting, too, is this isn't just some random five-star quarterback coming in. That's enough pressure. But add the pressure of his lineage of who his dad is. That, yep. I mean, just adds on to it. His dad is Patrick Nix, who was an Auburn quarterback many moons ago and is now a high school coach. Uh, he was Bo's high school coach and they won two state championships, back-to-back state championships together. So his old man, his pedigree is pretty good. Uh, I know y'all are going to love this conversation, especially those of you who are SEC fans. You're going to learn a lot about what it's like to be a true freshman in the SEC and the growth that comes from that. And he has very unique mentors, even outside of his own dad, whom I chose not to ask him about because I've done it in the past. But he has a decent lineup of mentors at his disposal, starting with Tim Tebow, which is where we chose to start the conversation. Here is Bo Nix, Auburn University signal caller. All right, Bo, we're going to start uh, with something I had the amazing blessing to, to kind of witness firsthand last fall while I was preparing to host SEC Nation. You came on the bus, and we're just kind of spending some time chatting with Tim Tebow, kind of fellowshipping with him and, and learning from his mentorship. No cameras, just you and Timmy. And I know given your faith and the position you play and all that, that he's something of a mentor to you, what's that relationship and, and getting to spend that time like with, with somebody like Tim? Yeah, that was incredible. Um, I remember that and the, the conversation we had very vividly. Obviously, it was one of the cooler things that I've gotten to do in my life growing up. Um, him being who he was, being the player he was when I was really getting to know kind of college football and how it was in itself and kind of started forming forming dreams in my head and things like that so he was kind of the the foundation of that and so having a chance to sit down and speak to him just kind of privately and just hear his raw thoughts and and everything that he had been through everything that he had had done to get to that situation um, was just really awesome I tried to soak up everything I could obviously wish I could have written everything down so I could have remembered it all because it was just it was such good content but I remember very well just sitting up there with you and him and and having great dialogue and just remember thinking to myself how valuable that conversation was. He's something else. i tell you, Bo, haven't had the opportunity to be around him quite a bit. He's a light and has a perspective that is just so grounded. Right. Inspirational. You're just not around people. I've never been, I've never been around anybody like that before. I agree. Speaking of mentors, you have quite a, a wonderful list of them. Timmy is not the only one. You spent spring break out in California, I read, with another one of your mentors. What, what was that experience like, and what did you learn? Yes, sir. So uh, my quarterback trainer, Jordan Palmer, lives out um, in California, and I met him through the opening camp with Nike back my senior year, going into my senior year, and we kind of formed a relationship. Um, didn't really know how it would last, but this past summer going into my football season I went out there and hung out with him and I learned a lot from him so this spring I got the privilege of going back 
really enjoy being out there and, and learning from him, obviously with his background with all the guys he's helped train to go in the NFL and draft training and things like that and off-season training from guys who were in the NFL. It's just really, really awesome to learn from a bigger-picture guy like that who's seen what it takes to get to the next level and, and stuff like that. So um, just really – try to go out there and um, obviously anytime I can just to sharpen up my skills and just to learn something new uh, every time. Speaking of the next level, you worked out with a couple guys during that session who've gone on to the next level and Sam Darnold and Joe Burrow. That, that's phenomenal. Let's just start with, with Sam. What do you learn from watching a guy that's, that's had a little bit of a pro experience so far? One thing that stood out to me a lot with Sam is the, he wasn't too cool for the situation. He was a NFL quarterback. He plays at the Jets, and he obviously has every right to kind of act like he's better than or things like that, but he never really did. He kind of took me under um, his care and just started teaching me and, and helping me with my craft and things like that. And he just treated me like another guy, which I thought was really, really cool. And that's kind of the way those kind of settings are. You know, we're all quarterbacks, and we've gone through similar things, and we're all training to become – even better and I mean each of us there have has had success in high school college and then those guys now in the pros so it's just really cool it's like a football family and um, a quarterback fraternity that we all just kind of understand each other and we can learn from each other but just to watch a guy like Sam and how he trains with the intention to detail other things like that how he's willing to pick up on other things he's very coachable and even at the highest level that's valuable so just to learn from guys like that is just really cool and um, I understand not many people just are in that position so I was just trying to take it take everything I could. What about Joe football? You dueled Joe Burrow on the field last year but what was it like kind of being immersed in that training together? I mean obviously Joe's a, a very unique person and um, his attitude toward life, toward football is, is different. And I think that's why he plays so much different from other people. That's why he has success. Um, he's just ultra competitive, very detailed and extremely hardworking. And there's a reason why he did what he did on the field this year, why he's had so much success, why he was the first pick and things like that, just because of um, what he does in his daily life habits and, and how he goes on day by day and what he does to train and get prepared for the success that he knows he can get. Coach Malzahn uh, this preseason has been very blunt about your confidence, that you're supremely confident and that there's no doubting that confidence. Not everybody has that trait, Bo. What leads to your personal belief in yourself? My belief that um, Jesus put me here for a reason and that through him I have certain power that only he can provide and that power is greater than any worldly power that I can get from any touchdown pass or any touchdown run or any win or loss on the field that I know where my, my strength comes from. And I think that in itself is just, that's what separates just extreme confidence to where for a guy who may have only a little bit of confidence, I think that knowing the bigger picture of life and knowing that what I'm, what I'm here to do is to impact others and things like that just gives me a, a confidence that, Honestly, it takes you a while and takes you growing up to figure out. But um, here recently, I've, I've come to terms with that and I've come to grips with it and I've seen it more than, more than ever. And I think I, I do feel confident. I feel extra confident um, in myself. I feel different going into this year. And last year, obviously, there was a lot of things going on, being a freshman, trying to win a job, trying to gain a team and be a leader in the way I can be and, and also perform on the field and have success. And so – 
through all that, I kind of lost my confidence in a way, lost my swag, and I wasn't kind of the same person that I was in high school when I did have that confidence. So this offseason, I really tried to um, do whatever it took to p- prepare myself now going into my second year and, and having that confidence again. But um, I'm really looking forward to actually getting back on the field again. I feel like it's been forever. I can't imagine what it's like to come in as a freshman and try to win a team, first of all. But what's that experience like? What's it like walking in that locker room, vying for a job as the young snot-nosed guy right out of high school and try to win those guys? What, what do you do? I mean, it's tough, and I had to ask myself that every single day. But the only thing you can do is to make sure those other guys besides you know that you love and care for them and want what's best for them. And at the end of the day, you put yourself aside and, and put them first. And I think that that's ultimately what I tried to do. I tried to do that every single day, come in with a hardworking attitude, not say much um, unless I needed to say something, but kind of, I guess, from the bottom, trying to work my way up to the top. And all you can do is do that through work. And obviously those older guys, you, you're playing by Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson. Those guys have been around for a while. They've done some incredible things on the field. And so just coming in there, trying to get their respect, really all I knew what to do was just go to work and just show them that I was working hard and um, that I wanted to win. I wanted what's best for them. And um, at the end of the day, just form relationships with them and become closer with those guys so they know that I have their back and and hopefully they have mine. Being a servant leader kind of transcended even the walls of your own team during this COVID-19 time with the we want to play movement where so many of you guys took to social media to make sure that administrators, coaching staffs, presidents of your universities, the NCAA, everybody was well aware of what your intentions were. What do you believe that unified movement among the players showed the NCAA and the world? Uh, I think it shows that the power of a team, the power of people standing together and being unified. And I mean, we come from all different backgrounds and all different places across the country and have different family dynamics, different backgrounds, and it doesn't really matter. We all want the same thing and we came here to play play football and I think that over this strange period of time that we live in now it's kind of been thrown to the side and things like that and other things have become bigger but at the end of the day we just want to play and I think that when the players became unified and we started to show that I mean by social media and things like that through the word of mouth I think it got out that everyone's really looking forward to getting back out there and playing. In what ways have the altered schedule because of COVID and the necessary protocols you guys have had to undergo. How has that impacted your preparation for the season? We've had to adapt and I've had to find new creative ways to to get ready for the season. Um, The day-by-day structure changes a lot. So you have to kind of treat each day um, as a new day and you kind of have to worry about one day at a time. But with the new schedule and obviously with it coming out, finally prepared us that, I mean, it's just kind of, um, reinform us that we will have a season. We can get ready for something and we can look forward to something. So that was good. And we can start preparing for that down the road. And um, obviously here lately with practice, we've started getting more of a rhythm. Everything that we're trying to do is just preparing us for um, that first game. And obviously it's 24 days now. And so it's getting really, really close. And um, each day it gets closer. So just take one day at a time and prepare the best you can. And, and don't let you be the reason that your team wasn't prepared. 24 days. You're counting, counting down every one, aren't you? I love it. Um, yes, sir. 
16 guys out of practice at once. Coach Malzahn told us, uh, those of us in the media recently, when, when that many guys are out of practice, what's the impact of that? What's the vibe that comes with that? Well, it gives other people great opportunity. And obviously when adversity hits, it um, brings about great opportunity. And so I think that is great for the younger guys that are here and trying to get in the rotation with guys out. It's kind of their, their step up and they got to kind of do what they have to do to try to show that they can be on the field. And so I think it's given guys great opportunity and giving guys um, a great advantage to, to get better over the past few weeks. And I mean, with this year, you never know if you'll go into a game um, with that many guys out, you don't really know that answer is kind of pending towards the direction of the season, but just trying to get everyone ready and obviously you're going to have to have great depth. And so with the, this many guys out, um, if guys just take advantage of the opportunity and, and take it serious and, and know that they can come out better, I think it'll be a, an advantage for the guys that um, have gotten the opportunity. Part of the new for you this fall certainly is, is Chad Morris coming in as, as OC for you guys. Obviously, has had tremendous success as a coordinator in the past, uh, has head coaching experience now as well. What have you learned from Chad Morris that you didn't already know? I mean, I've learned so much from him already, and I haven't even played a game with him. Seeing how he's adapted to this crazy stuff, seeing how it hadn't phased him a bit, he just moves on and goes – to the next logical step and he's very just passionate about what he does and you can tell just by the way he coaches just by the way he has meetings with us just by the way he dialogues with us he he has such passion for the game of football he has such passion for the guys around him that he coaches his um the other coaches that he coaches with so he's just very intentional with his relationships and very he just sees the bigger picture it's more than football for him, but at the same time, we're all here and we're together to play football. So we're going to do that with the best of our ability too. Um, and so just the way he, he pushes us to be better, better players and better men off the field, that's just what I respect about him. And, and I can't wait to um, go through a season with him, to, to go through struggles with him and see how he helps me and how he pushes me to keep moving forward. I told y'all it was a great conversation. We'll get back to Bo Nix in just a moment, but first – now back to our interview with Bo Nix. What do you reckon it'll be like when Jordan hair is not full? I think it'll be really weird. Obviously trying to picture that in your head when they say 20% and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when the ball snapped, it kind of goes quiet in my head anyway, whether it's 85 or 20,000. So it doesn't really matter. You come onto the scene right out of the gate as a true freshman. First game, you're in the throes of it late and you ultimately prevail against a a really good Oregon team. I can't imagine what that does to you either when all of a sudden the whole country knows your name. Even though you were a five-star out of high school and all that, there are a whole lot of people out there on the West Coast that don't know Bo Nick's name. Well, now they do. But I would love to know from that point, when do you believe it clicked? When did, when did college quarterback click for Bo Nix? Uh, I would say after that game. and Because um, kind of like you said, going in that game, it was just – Auburn fans and people down south that um, recognized me and knew that I was a quarterback and things like that. And then obviously after you play on a national spotlight um, on ESPN and, and a big game like that, win the game and things like that, and it, it's just blown up, I think that that's when it kind of changed for me. And that's when I kind of realized and came to the realization that 
um, it started and this is how it's going to be for, um, for a, a while, hopefully, um, in the future, but just trying to take it, um, like I said, day by day, game by game. And it's tough to handle the outside noise sometimes because it can be really loud, but that just comes with the territory of playing quarterback at, at a great university. In what areas personally and within the game have you grown the most from last season to this? Physically, just I feel like I've grown just from, I mean, just from gaining another year. Went from 19 years old to 20, so a lot can happen within that year and off-season training. And um, finally got a whole off-season with my strength and conditioning coaches, development program. So that's obviously changed a lot, and I feel like I've gotten bigger, stronger, and faster, and that'll help me moving forward. But off the field, I feel like I've, I mean, I've, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot in, in just 2020 um, in general from the time we went home from the pandemic and things like that. So um, really just focused on how I can be better, how I can serve a bigger purpose for my teammates and have a bigger platform and, and use my platform to kind of influence those around me and, and share Jesus with them and, and make sure that my time here is not wasted and I make sure that I value every relationship that I can and, and build every relationship so that in the future I can look back and say that I made an impact on other people's lives. I think just finding my purpose was important and I think that's given me great kind of confidence and given me a great feeling moving forward. I love that, man. Uh, speaking of impacting lives, you definitely impacted a few on the Plains last year when you won the Iron Bowl. How does winning the Iron Bowl impact a life in ways that you did not expect? Well, it's something that being an Auburn fan, I wanted to do that my entire life. And freshman year in Jordan-Hare Stadium with so many people, so much on the line, I mean, that's how you write it up and that's exactly how you want it to be. And I mean, it lasts 364 days until the next one. And so it, it holds so much weight in the state and um, at your university and really throughout college football because it's such a big game and an important game for um, the system. But just really, I mean, looking forward to it, the next one, and you can't really kind of hang your hat on the last one because, I mean, you're just a sophomore and you got to focus on the next one and continue to get better. And, and then at the same time, it's a long season leading up to that. So it's tough to balance, but, I mean, it's always in the back of your mind. Get you out of here on this, young man. So you beat Bama. You guys gave LSU all they wanted. You finished uh, finish really well last year, uh, SEC Freshman of the Year. So what do you expect of yourself and your team in 2020, and kind of how do you define success this time around? Defining success is different for every single person, but um, just being the best you can be within the circumstances at all times and making those around you better. And really this year, I want to make sure that I leave everything on the field and I don't have any regrets because I know that anytime you're playing the SEC, you're in the SEC West, you're at Auburn, you have great opportunity and there's a great chance for you to win a lot of games. And we have a really good team this year. We have a lot of experience on, on the outside, especially on offense. And then on defense, we'll be really good again. So it's just looking forward to playing and seeing how good we are and putting the pieces to the puzzle together and playing other teams. And obviously we won't be able to tell until we get going, but um, I'm really confident in my teammates and really confident in our coaching staff um, that we'll handle this year with, with great success and, and we'll just take it day by day and hopefully be the best we can be. I appreciate your perspective, young man. You're a light 
and don't lose that. And I appreciate your time. I know uh, it's fleeting at this moment as you prepare for the season. And thank you for sharing, sharing your story with me. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to get down there and see you guys real soon. Absolutely. I thank you for the opportunity. I love that interview. I'm impressed by that young man. Uh, he's a leader. And uh, they're fortunate to have him down there on the plains. I really appreciated him being so open about he just wasn't, being, wasn't able to play with that same swag that he had been used to. And that's understandable considering all the things that we said he had to deal with. But just the awareness and openness to say that uh, says a lot about, uh, well, I was going to call him a kid, but when you're as big as he is, you're no longer a kid. Yeah, there's a lot that comes with his position. Uh, as you stated earlier before we ran the interview, I mean, his pedigree, he's coming into Auburn as a five-star quarterback who played for his father, who was a star quarterback at the school you chose, who comes in, wins a job. I love hearing him discuss the challenge of walking into a locker room full of grown-ass men as a – 18 year old and having to win them to take the team that that is a very daunting prospect when you're walking in a locker room that has Derek Brown and has Marlon Davidson and has all these dudes who are dudes they're NFL ready right now they could have gone pro already and you're coming in there fresh out of high school played for daddy whole thing and you're a five-star and there's tremendous expectation on you unfair expectation on you you come out in the very first week you beat a really good Oregon team on national television in Jerry world in thrilling fashion and you're off and running and oh by the way hey I'm still just 19 I'm still just a true freshman over here trying to find my way and through the most difficult conference in the country and he has Joey Gatewood right behind him battling for that position so yep. you're you're you having it on all fronts and like you said with the Bama game it's great that you win it but the second that the game ends you got to think about the next year's game because that's now the, that's what matters and for that state when these rivalry games for better or worse those games decide how people's fall and winters are and the rest of the year no question and it's funny it makes me think of Joe Moorhead I interviewed Joe Moorhead with McGee uh, at SEC Media Days a couple of years ago after his first season in Starkville, Mississippi. And I was asking him about the SEC West gauntlet, which, of course, Bo Nix goes through because he plays in that league. And he said, I thought I was ready. I, I, I felt like I was ready as a coach. And I'd coached in big games before, plenty of whiteouts at Penn State, all those things. And then you come down here and you're – you put in the tape of the game you just played, and you go, my God, that team was stacked. I, they, it was so, it's unbelievable how talented they are, how well coached they are. And then you put in the tape of the, the opponent that you're about to face, and they're better. They're better than the guy you just played, and it's unrelenting. And that's what Bo Nix is going through. He managed it as a freshman, earned SEC Freshman of the Year, and I do believe – I agree with him. I think he is poised for a very, very good year. And he's got two great minds to be working yeah. with for, for, for having Gus and then Chad Morris. Like, he's got it all right there for him. And really good man. Uh, Chad Morris is as good a man as you'll ever find, to, deep, deeply rooted in, in his faith as well. 
And it's funny. People are like, oh, he was the worst. He was a failure at Arkansas. That doesn't matter. Bill Belichick failed too. People fail. Not everybody's first go-round or second go-round is right. That doesn't mean they're a bad coach. He's a really good coach, and he's a great coordinator. We know that from his time under Dabo Sweeney at Clemson University. All right. Thank you to Bo Nix. Awesome job. Awesome time. Awesome perspective. I'm a better man for having gotten to spend that 20 minutes or so with Bo and, and Travis. Travis, thanks for uh, digging out those great Ask Marty questions. Again, y'all, make sure you hit us up. Hit Travis up. Uh, hashtag Ask Marty. And we'll do our best to answer them as best we can. Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials, our first responders, firemen running into the fire, risking their lives to save others. And thank you so much to the United States military who work so hard and sacrifice of themselves to offer us a free country. We can live in a free country and go and do and aspire. I am so grateful to be an American. Y'all have a great day, a great week. This is Marty Smith's America. We'll try to do better next time around. Y'all be good. Stay safe.